You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church Midtown. This is our sermon series, Sacred Habits. How practicing the way of Jesus helps you to flourish spiritually and stay grounded emotionally. Before we get into the message this morning, I want to just take a moment to think about uh, and ask the Lord to work. So would you join me in prayer? Father, I pray through the preaching of your word and through the power of your spirit that you would convict us. And this conviction would lead to transformation in our lives. Lord, I pray that we would believe what you say, who you say you are. Lord, help us in our loves, as we've already heard this morning, to be shaped by who you are and what you've done for us. It's your name we pray, amen. Well, if you're new here to Sojourn Midtown, we're in the midst of a sermon series on the sacred habits. So far, we've been encouraged to think about a few habits. First of all, prayer. Pastor Jason led us at the beginning of this month on the topic of prayer. Then we thought about the idea of scripture and all the implications about reading God's word. And then most recently, last week, Pastor Timothy Paul Jones encouraged us on the idea of sacred fellowship from Ephesians 2 and 3. How did you all do this week with passing the peace? Did it get awkward? Was it hard? Well, we have an opportunity to do it again. So I know we've already done it once this morning, but let's take another opportunity as we practice a really important habit. So peace be with you. Thank you, church. So let's dive in. The topic this morning is sacred speed. And that's the habit of living life at the pace of Jesus. The main idea that I hope gets imprinted on your soul this morning, as you leave this place, I hope you remember the antidote to hurry is abiding. Let me say that again. The antidote to hurry is abiding. This habit is more, most important for what it allows rather than for what it is by itself. What do I mean by that? As you practice this habit, as it becomes something that is life-changing and transformative, it's going to change how we think about ourselves as embodied people with limitations. When we live as God desires in an unhurried, Jesus-like way, this will create margin to practice the other habits that we've been hearing about this month. Prayer, reading God's word, and fellowshipping with other believers. Another outworking of practicing this habit is that you will be living counterculturally. You will be living counter to everything that the world says is important and valuable. Frantic hurry has become a status symbol in our culture. Sometimes we need a wake-up call from Scripture to get our attention. So I hope that's what happens this morning as we hear from 1 Peter 1. Hear this as a wake-up call. One pastor who has thought a lot about this topic of hurry is a guy named John Mark Comer. He recently wrote a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Some of you may have read that already, but I want to call your attention to one quote as we frame our time together. It's easy to assume this pace of life is normal. It's not. Think about that. It's easy to assume this pace of life is normal, and it's not. We're going to look at why. The reality is that all, we all know that deep down this is true. We know that the sort of hurried, frantic pace that we live most of our life at 
is not sustainable and it doesn't bring life. It isn't normal. Hear that again. It is not normal. I think one of the most clear ways we've seen this illustrated recently has been since the start of the pandemic. We've seen a spike in people moving from big cities to smaller cities or from cities in general to the country. And what happens, uh, we'll see in some stats later on, but just as a sort of story, recently we were visiting some friends over Christmas break down in Asheville, North Carolina. And Asheville is a fun place. A lot of us like to go there. It's a fun place to go. But what he's seen, my, my friend loves his neighbors in his neighborhood. He's the kind of guy who will talk to you forever if you let him. But uh, he walks around his neighborhood and makes friends. And so he knows almost everyone that lives around him. And what he has recognized is literally every person he has met in the past year is from California. <laughs> Truly. It's not like an exaggeration. Yeah, some of you are from there. But you're here, right? Uh, I'm not going to go any further. All I'm going to say is people are being changed, and it's because of the ha- habits that are being formed. So let me talk about the stats. The Harvard Joint Center for Housing Studies says the biggest increase in permanent moves from the pandemic were in March 2020 and December 2020, which represent increases from a year prior of 12 and 14% respectively. It is likely no coincidence that these spikes line up with the onset of the pandemic in the first winter surge in coronavirus cases. For the first time in most people's lives, there was freedom to think about what it would look like if they could live their lives differently. And many people decided, I want to make a radical change. The problem is, though, that moving somewhere that has more space that maybe has fewer people, more grass. Coming from France with no grass, living in an apartment building, I can relate. I want grass, I wanna have a yard. But the reality is, moving doesn't address the most fundamental issues with our drive to have a frantic hurry that's a part of our lives. Geography, a change in geography alone, isn't the answer to hurry. So before we get into the outline this morning, I want to ask you one question. What would it look like if you didn't have to hustle or grind constantly? What would it look like? Think about that for a second. What would it look like if you didn't feel the need to constantly be grinding or hustling? How would your life look different? Here's our three points for this morning. First of all, sober speed. Secondly, holy speed. And finally, we're going to look at what it looks like to have a redeemed speed. Sober speed from verses 13 and 14. Let's read verse 13 again together. Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We see in verse 13 an emphasis on preparation for action by being sober-minded that results in putting our hope in Jesus Before we can practice this sacred speed, we have to realize just how far we are from living the life that God desires for us to live. Richard Lovelace, he's thought a lot about spiritual disciplines and habits, and uh, he has a really helpful quote for us as we think about this topic. If we cannot face the bad news about the depth of our sin and the height of holiness, we cannot fully grasp the good news of salvation and the transformed life 
in Christ. If we are to live at a sober speed, one that believes abiding is the antidote to hurry, then we must regularly assess in a sober way just how fast we are going and why. So for me personally, how do I know when my speed is off? Here's some examples from my own life. It's when I struggle to slow down and to focus. My prayers are rushed. I find my kids' stories really annoying or just a bother. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You're here with me. With my wife, she has desires for her schedule. But guess what? My schedule trumps everyone's. And I get really annoyed when I have to adapt. I find it hard to even read a chapter of a book. If it's hard or it seems impossible to not look at my phone or my watch while I'm having lunch or sharing a coffee with someone that I, that I care about, supposedly. These are signs that my efficiency-induced need for speed has distorted and distracted me from my relationship with God and my relationship with others. Let me give you an illustration from my own life. Again, I've given you some examples, but I want to flesh this out further. Just a little vulnerability today, this morning. So a couple years ago, as some of you already know, uh, we just moved here last year, moved back to Louisville. We were doing church planning in Lyon, France for a number of years. And so I went through a church planning assessment in March 2020. So March 2020 was a pretty crazy time, but we didn't know it yet. The first week I went through this church planning assessment and there was a lot of good that came out of it. I was really encouraged to see the way the Lord had grown me in a lot of ways. But one of the things that was really kind of directly put in my face was that I wasn't taking a Sabbath. I had terrible rhythms in my life. What had happened was that in my desire to see a church planted, to do good things, to pastor well, all of my rhythms were distorted and out of whack. And so it was really fresh in my mind. Think again, first week of, of March 2020, a few, uh, just a week later, we're in France. We got locked down. And the lockdown in France was really intense. It was not fun. We were in a 750-square-foot apartment with three kids. Let you imagine just how fun that could be. Um, but a weekend to be in lockdown, I got COVID. And many of you have experienced COVID at this point. You know it's not fun. Um, But for me, what happened was it it didn't last just a short period of time. I was like sick on in my bed on my back for about a month. I literally couldn't do anything. And uh, and so that was really hard. That was hard for me because what I came to realize, what God was graciously convicting me of, was that I put all my value and all my worth in what I did for God, what I could accomplish for him. And I started to believe that the things I did were what mattered. And if I wasn't there, if I wasn't the savior in this context, that everything was going to fall apart. So what God did at first, I tried to hide from that. I binged on Netflix, laid in my bed, trying to ignore the fact that I was hurting and I felt awful. I felt guilty. I couldn't do the things that I had done, that I'd been trained to do my whole life. And so as I reached this moment, I had to come to grips with the reality that I am not in control. And my value 
is not in what I do for God. I'm valuable because I'm God's son. But that's a hard lesson to learn when you're on your back and you can't do anything. And so as we practice this sacred habit this morning, as we seek to put this into practice, my prayer for us as the church is that it doesn't take a severe sickness to get our attention and to have a wake-up call in our lives. So as we return to the text, the next important thing to grasp is understanding a sober speed from verse 14. Let's read it. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. Peter is challenging the readers of his letter to submit to their new way of life as followers of Christ. He's saying, don't go back to these old ways of life, the way you were living in ignorance of the gospel, of all that God has done for you. But what's the issue? We know that that's true, right? We know that there's an old way of life that we don't really want to live that way. But the reality is, is we do. Our lives are often a reflection of this former ignorant way of life. And it's hard to live our lives in the pattern to conduct our behavior in the way that reflects Jesus. So why do we do this? There's this juxtaposition, this tension, this old way of life and the way that we know we're supposed to live. So for me, it helps me to see things, sometimes these theological things that are happening in the text in a, in a chart. So I thought this might help us flesh this out. So I want us to think about the idea of limitless living. One way to help us understand that is, is by looking at it. Why do we have this frantic pace all the time? First of all, power. We are hungry for it. We desire it. But it can be subtle. We, only, we celebrate people who only get four hours of sleep a night, right? Those are the kind of people we hold up. Oh, man, they have it going on. But what we are missing in our search for power is that we are actually living in weakness. Because what happens when we live at a pace where we only get four hours of sleep a night? It actually makes us weaker. We're not stronger. We become weak. Our bodies are frail. We're not functioning in the way that God made us. Secondly, time. We think we can bend time to our own will. We're obsessed with maximizing every single minute. And what does that lead to? It leads us to not being present in our relationships, not being present in the moment. Instead, when we live like we can be everywhere at once, we're actually absent. We're present with no one. And what we become blind to is how finite we really are. Finally, the third thing, we hold up knowledge as a way to achieve success or curate an image. We are constantly hustling so we can accumulate things. For many of us, that's why we continue to try to get degrees, right? We want to have an image of ourselves as something that maybe we're not. Or we think we can achieve expert status if we just know enough. Maybe we scroll through social media, read another article. But in, in reality, this quest for knowledge that we think is gonna bring validation or identity in reality, all it leads to is more emptiness and ignorance. It's the opposite of what we think is gonna happen. But that's the reality. We think if we have power, time, or knowledge, we're gonna have control. 
But what is true is that our lives, we're not in control of our lives. Our lives control us. Our schedules control us. And it's because we are not willing to live within our limits. So as an application this week, I want you to take 10 minutes. 10 minutes is not very long. Carve out 10 minutes this week to think soberly, to assess what is going on. Why am I living at this frantic pace? We need to look at our motivations. One helpful tool that I found as I was thinking about this topic, again, going back to John Mark Comer, he has a list. I think it might be a helpful tool for us as we take these 10 minutes to assess soberly. There are 10 symptoms of hurry sickness. First of all, irritability. You get mad or annoyed at little things. People have to tiptoe around you. Can you relate to that? Hypersensitivity. Minor comments easily hurt your feelings and turn into major emotional events. Restlessness. When you try to slow down and rest, you can't relax or focus. You are always trying to do at least two things. And for some of us, that's three, four, five. List goes on. Workaholism in nonstop activity. You literally truly feel like you can't stop. Your drugs of choice are accomplishment and accumulation. Emotional numbness. You don't have the capacity to feel another's pain. Care for others is rare. Out of order priorities. You easily get sucked into the tyranny of the urgent. You're reactive constantly instead of proactive. Lack of care for your body. I know this one gets me. You don't have time for sleep, healthy eating, or exercise. The thought of not drinking a coffee for even a day brings about alarming levels of anxiety. Yeah. I get a headache. I don't know about you. It doesn't feel good. Escapist behaviors. We consume anything that will allow us to be distracted from reality. Food, drink, Netflix, and of course, social media. Slippage of, so, of, of spiritual disciplines. When life gets busy, our tendency is to let go of the habits we've been looking at this month. Prayer, reading God's word, fellowship with other believers. All that goes out the window. I'm too busy. I've got stuff I got to get done. Finally, isolation. You live life outside of community with God and others. You are too busy to interact with anyone at a deep level. So take 10 minutes this week. Assess soberly. What pace are you living at? And then think, why? Why am I living at this pace? What am I seeking to gain? What do I think I'm going to accomplish by living life at a frantic, hurried pace? So the first step to abiding is having a sober speed. Then the next thing we see from this passage is holy speed. Point two. Look at verses 15 through 17. But first of all, let's jump into 15 and 16. I'll read it again. But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written... Be holy because I am holy. 
If we are to live at a holy speed, one that believes the antidote to hurry is abiding, then we must be regularly asking ourselves, in what ways have I assimilated into the world? How am I living like the culture around me? Instead of recognizing our hurry as destructive or antithetical to the way in which God has created us and society has told us is normal, we've bought into it, right? We've bought into this lie. We have to live differently. We need the Holy Spirit to bring conviction and to help us be holy in all of our conduct. I want to return to Richard Lovelace again. He's thought a lot about the spiritual disciplines, and I really appreciate this, uh, this quote. Unlike, unless the Holy Spirit breaks through our conventional behavior with the conviction that we are involved in things that are opposed to God's kingdom, we will inevitably continue sleepwalking in sin. I love that phrase. It hits me, sleepwalking in sin. That's where most of us are with our busyness, with our hurried life. We're sleepwalking in sin. And anytime this is true, anytime we're sleepwalking, we're not really aware of what's going on, we've entered really dangerous territory. What does hurry do to us? Hurry kills relationships. Love takes time. Hurry doesn't have it. It kills joy, gratitude, appreciation. People in a rush don't have time to enter the goodness of the moment. It kills wisdom. Wisdom is born in the quiet, the slow. Wisdom has its own pace. It makes you wait for it. Wait for the inner voice to come to the surface of your tempestuous mind. But not until the waters of thought settle and calm. Hurry is incredibly destructive. But that's not how we treat it, right? We play with it. We think it's cute. Hurry has become a respectable sin. It's a sin that we tolerate. We let it live. We give it life. The way we can practice holy speed is by confession and repentance. If your pace does not reflect a life of holiness, one that exhibits a life lived out in love for God and love for others, then confess and repent of these ways of life. Ask God to forgive you and bring transformation by the power of the Spirit. So as an application, we want to be really applicable with this habit series, right? As an application today, this week, confess and repent as you've soberly assessed what's going on in your life, the pace you're living at, take the time in community group this week or take the time in a D group this week to get vulnerable and confess to your brothers and sisters how you, your life does not reflect a life of holiness. Confess the ways that you are not living an unhurried life. Repent and ask God to transform you. Take those opportunities this week. Don't hide from it. Verse 17, remember, a frantic pace is likely a sign that you are way too at home in this world. What do we see in verse 17? If you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's work, you are con to conduct yourselves in reverence during your time living as strangers. Peter is challenging his readers and then by, 
by default to us as well, to live life on this earth as temporary residents or sojourners. That's what that word strangers is really talking about. We're temporary residents here on this earth. We're sojourners. That's what it means to sojourn on this earth. This earth is not our home. The encouragement is don't get too comfortable. Don't conform to the culture. Instead, the call is to holy countercultural living. But at this point, we need to reckon with something. This call to be holy and live as temporary residents or sojourners is not something we're capable of doing on our own. We can recognize that we're, we've got a hurried life. We can do this sober assessment, right? We know it. If we take enough time to look at ourselves, it can get pretty ugly if we really deal with what's going on. But the reality is we don't have the power to live a countercultural holy life. We need Jesus. What we need to hear this morning is that the only way to see lasting, transformative change is abiding in Christ. Abiding in Christ is the antidote to hurry. And this is what it means to live at a redeemed speed. It unlocks the ability by which we can ruthlessly eliminate hurry. We will be able to refuse to take our cues from the world and instead walk at the pace that Jesus walked. This reorientation will take time. And I can promise you it's not going to be easy. It's going to be kind of painful. It's going to hurt. It's going to be long. Anytime we have patterns that run this deep, that are, we're this blind to, change comes slowly. But change is possible. You have to believe that this morning. Change is possible. You don't have to continue this ignorant, formal way of life. So, third point. Redeem speed in verses 18 and 19. Let's look at these last two verses to understand what it looks like to walk at a redeemed speed. For you know you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. Pastor Jamal has a saying that I've been deeply impacted by in my few months here. He loves to say, you have nothing to prove and nothing to lose. Many of you have probably heard that already. For me, that was one of the first things he said when I got hired last year, and it's had a huge impact on me. But it also has a, a major impact on, on thinking about this idea of redeemed speed. In Christ, we have freedom. In Christ, we can't earn or lose our salvation. Our identity is not in what we do. Our identity is as sons and daughters. So Jesus' speed, let's think about that for a second. Jesus never lived a hurried life. He was never anxious. The four gospels are filled with a multitude of examples of Jesus living at a speed that reflected his love for God and his love for others. Jesus wasn't anxious or hurried. Jesus, the God-man, God incarnate, had time for the sick, the demon-possessed, children, one story in Mark 5 was really impactful for me this week as I was thinking about this topic. 
Let me set the stage for you, and then we'll, we'll jump there to read some scripture. But Mark 5, what's going on? Jesus is getting off a boat. And as happened so often in his life, in his ministry, immediately a crowd was just all surrounding him. And he was being crushed. I don't know about you, but when that, those sorts of situations happen, pre-pandemic, I can't even think about being crushed by a crowd, everybody coughing, or, you know, makes me anxious. But uh, yeah, thinking about ministry life, Jesus, everybody was coming to him because they wanted something from him, right? They wanted to be healed. They wanted to hear what he was going to say. They wanted to see the, the drama with the, uh, the Pharisees. But what happens in this, this story from Mark, four, or Mark 5 is that Jesus shows up and immediately gets off the boat. The crowd's crushing him. And then you have Jairus, this man who's desperate. His daughter is dying. So he comes and begs Jesus, Jesus, please heal my daughter. I need you. So Jesus said, okay, I'll come with you. So they start. They start going to Jairus' house. But what happens? The crowd continues to, to crush him, to move in. There's hundreds probably of people all around. So he continues to walk. And then in the midst of this, this woman touches Jesus. This woman is a woman who had been in suffering. She had physical suffering almost her whole life. And she had spent almost every penny she had to try to find healing. She was desperate too. So what does Jesus do? He knows something's happened. But instead of getting angry or annoyed like most of us would have, with all these people around, everybody wanting something from you, touching, touching, he doesn't react in anger or frustration. I mean, he was in a, in a hurry, right? He needed to get to this girl to save her life. But instead of walking at an anxious, hurried pace, he has time for this woman. He stops. So let's look at Mark 5, 30 through 34. Immediately, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turns around, he turned around and said, who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing against you, and yet you say, who touched me? But he was looking around to see who had done this. The woman, with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. Can you picture that for a moment? What a beautiful example of Jesus' unhurried pace. Jesus wasn't in a panic. Even though this was an emergency, he wasn't panicked or anxious. In his compassionate love for this woman who was dealing with immense suffering, he stopped and he healed her. But he not only healed her body, he saved her. So Jesus gives us this example. His whole life, the gospels are filled with these examples. But for us, what does this look like? What does it look like to abide in Christ? It is through abiding in Christ that we can sustain a pace that is slow in life-giving. A pace that reflects Jesus' life, his love for God, and his love for others. So how do we apply this truth? Abiding in Christ, that sounds good, right? But what does this look like? It looks like putting into practice the things we've heard all month. If we're living at a slower pace, we will then have the margin to pray consistently for God to work, to live under the authority of Scripture that transforms our minds and hearts. 
and to live in community that shapes who we are and what we do. But these sacred habits will only be formed in us if we make these radical and ruthless changes to our daily lives. So many of you who have kids know Rochelle. She's our director for Sojourn Kids. And she's been leading a class during the six o'clock service um, for our elementary age kids. And recently she's been talking about a few things around who God is. So God's omniscience, his omnipotence, and his uh, omnipresence. And this has led to conversations in our house. I have two elementary age boys. And what has happened that as we've discussed these topics, I was really hit a couple weeks ago as I was preparing for this sermon by the reality that what we need to see in our striving, in our hurried, frantic lives is that we are living out of reaction because we don't want to live within our limits. We don't want to live as God has created us to be, as embodied humanity. Our striving shows that we don't trust God, that we don't trust his sovereign reign in our lives. Instead, we want to live like only God can. But guess what? Instead of fighting our limits or hiding from them, we can embrace them. We can welcome them because we have nothing to prove and nothing to lose. We can live in relationship with God as he is and as we are created to be. This is what it looks like. This is what it means to have communion with God. So let's return to this chart that I talked about earlier. But this time, instead of limitless living, it's living within our limits. And how can we do that? First of all, it's by realizing God is the only one that is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. Another way to say that is that God is totally effective. Because this is true, we no longer need to be in control of our lives. We can trust that God is at work for our good and for his glory. Secondly, God is the only one who is omnipresent. God is everywhere at the same time. So we don't have to be present everywhere. We don't even have to pretend like we can. We can rest. We can rest. There is no need to anxiously strive for efficiency because God is sovereign. He has every detail of our lives wrapped up. Thirdly, God is the only one who is omniscient. God has all or total knowledge. This means we don't have to live life like we're experts, like we have it all figured out. We don't have it figured out. We're not experts. We can trust God for the wisdom that he promises to provide. And the really beautiful thing is, when we experience God's power, God's presence, and the wisdom or knowledge of God, that's when we figure out how to abide with Christ. When we're experiencing these beautiful things, trusting in God, that he's in control, that's when we experience abiding with Christ, in Christ. So here's a final thought for us this morning. When we live out the way of Jesus at an unhurried pace, what will our lives look like? I want to give you a vision for that this morning. First of all, vertically in our relationship with God. Because you are redeemed from your former ignorant way of life, you are able to live in union with Christ through the power of the Spirit. 
When life gets busy, you don't get anxious. Instead, you lean into the good news that God gives rest to those he loves. You can experience true peace in the midst of chaos, in the midst of crisis. That's what it looks like to abide with Christ. If you try to find your motivation to slow down in anything other than the fact that you have been redeemed from this empty way of life by the very blood of Christ, what is going to happen when you get tempted to go back into this former way of life, this hurried, frantic pace? For one, you might not even notice it because you're going so fast. But if you do, you might be, be tempted to feel shame and guilt and then give up. Brothers and sisters, this morning I want you to hear. Christ is calling you to walk in freedom. There is freedom from the chaos. Preach this rich and beautiful gospel to yourselves this week. God has redeemed you from this empty way of life. Now walk in the freedom that that gives. So that's life with God. We got to think about horizontally life with each other. What does the vision of abiding with Christ look like this week for you? Because we remember that we are sojourners, we treat each other like we are made in God's image, the Imago Dei. This means we don't see people as a means to an end. People are not there for us to use and discard. Instead, we will create margin in our lives to slow down and to meet people where they are. Practically, that's what it looks like to love our neighbors. Abiding in Christ will lead to living counterculturally as a sojourner. Living life at this speed proclaims the gospel, the good news, that there is rest in Christ, there's life in Christ in real and tangible ways. Because it's countercultural. People are going to be like, wait, what? That's possible? I don't have to, to scramble, to hustle, to hurry. It's one of the most countercultural things you can do. So I want to remind us again, one more time, Abiding in Christ is the antidote to hurry. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.